All right. We're going to begin reading in verse number <coughs> excuse me, verse number sixteen. And read down around verse number twenty one or so. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the faith have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Father, we pray that you once again will bless the time of preaching and speak to our hearts. Give us uh, both the physical stamina and the the heart and the mind of being yielded to the uh, leading of your Holy Spirit and to the truth of your word. And may you be glorified through the preaching today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to speak about the the idea of uh, these vessels that uh, are of honor and of dishonor. I've preached on this topic before, but probably not this particular message. I want to bring out a couple of things that uh, I don't know that I've ever preached uh, here at Keith Heights. Um, if I have, it's been a long, long time since I have. I want to look at a couple of things here. As we get into the text this afternoon, um, we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved. We find in verse 15, very familiar passage. And uh, we're to shun profane and vain babblings. Uh, and um, we're to be careful of some things there. And we're to pursue, pursue after the truth. And verse number 19, Paul writes that the, to Timothy that the foundation of God standeth sure. And so we need to follow after that which is sure. And uh, avoid these things that are profane and vain babblings, study to show ourselves approved. And all of these things kind of set the tone, if you will, for verses 20 as he gives kind of a word picture of some things that I think are very important. He begins in verse 20 with this phrase, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood, um, and of earth. And I, I want to start by saying a couple of things. First of all, uh, there is a great house that God has put together. Uh, you can certainly say that uh, this house would be Christianity in general, those that have trusted the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could say all believers, perhaps, uh, would be part of this house. But even more uh, concentrated and a little more focused, perhaps, would be the idea that this is uh, the local church that he's speaking of here, uh, that God has fitly framed um, vessels to be a part of uh, the great house. And the idea being that God has uh, instituted and established church, uh, the church, the local church, uh, to do his work here in this world. Uh, and when he was talking to Peter uh, uh, before he ascended back to heaven, he uh, asked Peter, he said, um, whom do they say that I am? And they and Peter said, well, many of them are saying that you're a prophet or, you know, some different things. And then he said, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, Jesus commended him for that. Uh, he said, you know, my Father which is in heaven has shown you that. And he said, uh, this truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, 
is the rock that I'm going to build my church on. It's that truth that I am the son, Christ, the Son of the living God, that the church is going to be established on. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I would say this, that we're living in a time where we need to claim what God has said, uh, that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Now, the church, again, is not made up, as we mentioned in the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, it's not made up of a building. It's not made up of Keith Heights Baptist Church's name and the sign outside and the driveway and the chairs that are here. The church is made up of people. It's made up of those that have trusted Christ as their Savior, uh, have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this church is what God says He has established upon the truth that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, I'll tell you, we're living in a time where uh, if we're not careful, we'll get discouraged, we'll get downtrodden, we'll begin to think that uh, that there's uh, too much evil in the world today for us to combat. But I would like to remind us that God's promise is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I want to remind you about some things here, about this this great house, if you will, that uh, I believe is speaking here of the, of the local church. Uh, first of all, uh, the church was purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is precious to Him. Secondly, it is built by God. It's interesting to know, uh, He said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, notice what He says, I, meaning, him, meaning Christ, will build my church. Notice, He did not say, You will build my church. Nor did he say, I will build your church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. You say, well, Pastor, what are we to do as his children? We're to be obedient to take the word of the Lord out to a world that needs to hear it and to preach it everywhere we go. That's the commission that we've been given to teach and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to those that need to hear. And Paul said it this way. He said, some have watered, uh, and some have planted, and some have watered, but it is God that gives the increase. You say, well, what's going to build a, a church, God? All we're to do is to be obedient, to share the gospel message to a lost and dying world. Notice that this is a great house. The house has been purchased. This, this, this church has been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, it's built by God. Number three, it is made up of saved, born again. Those that have trusted Christ as their Savior, it is made up of those that come together in fellowship and say, we're going to become a local New Testament church. <coughs> and so it is made up by the members that are saved and trusting Christ as their Savior. Number four, it is set apart from the world. Amen. If nobody else will say amen, I'll amen that one. The church is to be set apart from the world. I was talking to Brother Kevin and some of the guys there at the table this, at lunch this afternoon. I came across a video a few weeks back of, I think it was like the ten worst churches or something like that in the world, in the, in, in the United States. And they had these clips. And I was appalled at what I saw. I, was, I, I see a lot of odd things that churches are doing in this day and age. But even this shocked me, and I was amazed at it. They had a they had a, 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 
uh, the, the, the lights were darkened down and they brought the lights up on the stage. And they have a bunch of guys come running up in their football jerseys. And they have a bunch of cheerleaders come up with their, their outfits on. And they've got these pom-poms and they're all cheering. There's music playing. There's wild music playing. And this announcer comes on like he's at a football game. And he's announcing uh, the, the staff men that are going to come out. And they all come running out one at a time and high-fiving and, and uh, everything. Trying to make it look like it's a, a football game that they're doing. And I thought, well, why in the world is the church trying to emulate the world? Uh, I, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine a number of years ago. He was at a conference where a man that had been involved in the seeker-friendly movement that happened back in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, there was a group of, of pastors kind of led by one or two men that kind of pioneered this that uh, determined that they were going to go out into the community since it seemed like congregations were dying, churches were dying, attendances were dying and were coming down. Can I tell you this? We don't need to find gimmicks and, and, and man-made ways to get people to come to church. And when we start seeing church falling off, we need to fall on our faces and ask for God's power once again. We, we need to pray for God to help us return to the preaching of His Word once again. And if men can see the power of God moving in a mighty way, the Bible tells us, and John said it this way, uh, when he was speaking of what Christ said, Christ made this statement, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And, and, and the idea is not to become like the world, but these, these men, they, they came up with this idea, we're going to go out into our cities and our communities, and we're going to survey. We're going to take a survey. We're not going to present the gospel to people while we're at the door. We're going to have a clipboard that's got a bunch of questions on it. And we're going to ask them what they would like to have in a church. And then we're going to come back to our church, and we're going to make our church look like what these people want. And if we make it look like what these people want, then they'll come. And sure enough, they did. And sure enough, it worked. People came. And, and this friend of mine, he's a good, good pastor, solid pastor, was in a meeting about, I think this has been now about 12 years ago, maybe, maybe a little longer than that. He was in a meeting where one of these pioneer men that had done that uh, and kind of got that whole idea going uh, was speaking. And he was telling this, this crowd of several thousand preachers, he said, we have learned to draw a crowd, but we have lost our congregations. In other words, we're bringing people in, but there's no life-changing, transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Because they have spent too much time bringing the world into the church and making it a place of entertainment. Uh, there are times that for recreation, I'll take my kids someplace, maybe over to Branson, and we'll go do some of the things, and we'll pay money. And the purpose for that is so that we can relax a little bit and unwind and be entertained. But when the Lord's Day is here, it's His day. It's not my day. It's not the day that I sit back and say, well, I want to be entertained. It's the day I think, Lord, I want to put my heart on Your things. I want to have the Word of God preached. I want to have things that will stir my heart. I want to be able to leave the church rejoicing that I've been in the presence of God today. It's important for us to remember that this church has been set apart in Christ. We're to be different. There's something that ought to, that ought to differentiate between the church and the world. And by the way, what is the church? We defined it at the very beginning. It's the people that are the members of the church that trusted Christ as their Savior. We're to be the ones that are different from the world. 
It's not enough to say, well, Keith, the Heights Baptist Church is separated from the world. We've got to look inwardly. And so, okay, who is it that makes up Keith Heights Baptist Church? And it's every single one of us individuals that come together in fellowship and say we make up the church. If I'm to be set apart in Christ, then I have to say, well, am I making a difference or am I just like the world? The church has been purchased. It's been built by God. It's made up of its members, saved, born-again members. It is set apart in Christ. Number five, it is the means by which Christ receives glory. It's the means by which Christ receives glory. God is glorified when His, when His children follow His Word. When we are set apart for the work and we do that work that we're set apart for. When we are set apart for holiness and we live that for which we're set apart for. This is how we bring glory to God. Number six, it is subject to Christ. Not the pastor, not the deacon board, not the wealthy member. It is subject to Christ and Christ alone. That's why we believe that our sole authority is this book that we hold on to right here. It is our sole and only authority. It was the object of Christ's love. It was the object of Christ's love. The Bible says that he husbands ought to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it. Sacrificially. Did the church deserve Christ's love? No. Did he give it willingly? Yes. Did he give it in spite of the fact that the church wasn't all it should be? Yes. Husband, that's the way we're to love wives. Is she all that she should be? Probably not. But neither are you. You still love her. You give yourself for her. As Christ loved the church, the church is subject to Christ. He is to have the preeminence. When we preach, it ought to point people to Christ. When we serve, it ought to point people to Christ. When we have church activities, it ought to point people to Christ. He ought to have the preeminence. If we're having a special day at church, it ought to point people to Christ. He needs to have the preeminence. Number seven, this church that we're a part of, uh, no, I'm sorry, number eight. It, it is the pillar and the ground upon which truth rests. <clears throat> it is the pillar and ground upon which church uh, the truth rests. Let me say this, and I'm going I'm to yeah, we're gonna end the, the teaching on the church here for a minute and look at the vessels in just a second. But I want to make mention this, that God has chosen His church to be the ones that hold... The truth of God's Word. We are to defend it. We are to protect it. We're to make sure that it remains pure. We need to teach it. We need to propagate it. We need to make sure that we live by it. We need to make sure that it is the head of everything that we do. It is. We are to be the pillar and the ground upon which truth rests. God has entrusted the most precious thing that He has into our hands. <clears throat> the Bible says, if truth is fallen in the streets, what can the righteous do? We're, we're reaping in the day that we live the consequences of now two or three generations of churches made up of God's people, people that name the name of Christ, 
who have not upheld the truth of God's Word the way that they should. We, we are entering into the now a third generation where people are not only saying uh, that, yes, that's the Bible, and we believe it to be the Word of God, but then they go about and they don't listen to what it says. Why? Because they quit being the pillar and the ground of it. Uh, when I built a house a number of years ago for my family, I was about 27 years old when I stuck the first shovel in the ground to, to dig the footers. And, and one of the things we had to do, and we're, we're in South Florida and we have a lot of sand down there, one of the first things we had to do is we had to uh, dig a footer, and it was a big footer. Compared to what you have to put in up here, it was a, it was a pretty big footer. And I dug that footer, and you have to dig down a certain amount, and then you have to pour concrete in there. you got to put steel and structure in there, and then you got to tie it all in with your slab and make sure you have something to build this house on top of. I remember as a kid years ago trying to build a tree house, and Dad had got me some wood. And I go out there, and I, I cleared the grass out uh, of an area, and it was just nothing but dirt and sand there. And so I started laying boards on the sand and building on top of that. And by the next day, that thing was all wobbly and flopping around. But when I built my house, I had to put a foundation under it. And then I had to make sure there was something solid that I could build on top of. And if that foundation had a problem, if that, 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 that platform had a problem, my house was not certain and it was not sure and it was not true. And I would be nervous living in it. Because that which should have been sure and securing and comforting to me would have been built on something that did not have a good solid foundation. Can I tell you this? The church is the one that is responsible to hold forth the truth of the Word of God. We're now in the third generation, I believe, of, of churches. Churches that have allowed the foundation to erode the truth of God's Word. From the pulpits, we have men that will stand and say, uh, yes, I know the Bible says this, but it's wrong in that area. And, and, and society, and I've talked with people around in society, says we ought to do this. And, and I've talked to this person over here, and they think we ought to do this. And we think that this is the direction our church ought to go. Uh, and they start opening uh, their doors and saying, uh, we believe that homosexuality is an okay lifestyle, that they don't have a choice in it. My son and I were sitting at breakfast yesterday morning, and uh, we were uh, sitting next to a table where uh, there were six uh, elderly folks uh, talking. And, and I, I sat there as, after we placed our order. Jonathan, you, I usually talk through breakfast, and I noticed that I was, I was much more quiet. In fact, I didn't even talk during breakfast because I was listening. I wasn't trying to eavesdrop. I was just eavesdropping. And, um, and, and I noticed Jonathan was real quiet. And, and this lady was talking. In the group, there were three men, three ladies, and she was talking, and she was uh, speaking about um, these these people that are pro-life and how how uh, they're uh, they're off their rockers and they're 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 out out in left field somewhere. And then she talked about people that were against the homosexual movement and uh, the LG whatever those letters are that they have now to define that whole group of people and how that we needed to be more accepting. And then she talked about going to a church function and reading her Bible and having a Bible study on Tuesdays. And I sat there and I thought, how can you read the Bible? How can you hold to God's truth and then in the next breath say that which is completely different from it? This great house. It's a great house because it's been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a great house because He's the one that built it. It's a great house because it's made up of those that are saved by the grace of God and fitly brought together. 
It's, it's a great house because it is set apart in Christ. It is a great house because it is the means by which Christ receives glory. It is a great house because it is subject to Christ. He's to have the preeminence. It's a great house because it was the object of Christ's love and His sacrifice. And it is a great house because it is the pillar and the ground upon which this truth rests. And as the house goes, so will go the truth. You start compromising in our churches, and the first thing that goes is the Bible. You start compromising on the truth of doctrine from God's Word, and the first thing they're going to do is find one that they can agree with and that their doctrine will seem to fit into. And they'll begin to abandon the Word of God. Notice in verse number 20, he says this, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. I, years ago when I was studying this and as a kid, a younger, younger guy in ministry especially, I used to think that the distinction here was that the gold and silver vessels were the vessels of honor and that the vessels of wood and earth were vessels of dishonor. And I guess I got that because of other passages of Scripture where uh, Job talks about when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. And that sometimes uh, our works will burn as wood, hay, and stubble. And others, they'll come forth as you know, shining uh, gold. And, and our, our uh, works are going to, be <coughs> going to be purged. As I've studied this passage more and more, I don't believe that's what, that's what Paul is trying to get across here. It looks as if he's, he's mentioning all of the types of vessels that there are in this great house. There's some of gold... There's some of silver, there's some of wood, there's some of earth. And can I say this? It does not matter which one you are, you are important to the great house. And every one of those vessels, all four of them, have a choice to make. And the choice is this. Whether I am a a vessel of gold, whether I am a vessel of silver, whether I am a vessel of wood, or whether I am a vessel of earth, my choice is this. Am I going to be a vessel of honor Or am I going to be a vessel of dishonor? Let's see what the Bible says here as we get to verse 20. It says that there are these four vessels, and he says, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Speaking of all four of them grouped together. It doesn't matter if you are the most prominent person in the church or the lowest in the church. Every one of us must make a choice. Am I going to be a vessel of honor in the house of God, or am I going to be a vessel of dishonor? What makes the difference? Well, let's look in verse number 21 for a moment. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet, uh, uh, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. What are the things that we're fleeing from, or that we're purging from? Well, verse number sixteen: shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is uh, 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 Hymenaeus and Philetus. He's talking about us abstaining from and fleeing from these things, and then he goes on to give a further list in verse twenty-two: flee also, in addition to those things. 
Flee also youthful lusts. But follow, and this is how we become a vessel of honor, but follow, and so I want to give you very quickly these things that a vessel of honor ought to have in their lives. Righteousness. There should be righteousness in our lives. If I want to be a vessel of honor, I've not only got to not do the things that are of a worldly bend, but then I must do the things that are of a spiritual nature. It's not enough for me to simply separate from the world. I must separate myself to Christ. So we're to flee youthful lusts. We're to flee uh, uh, these, uh, uh, these profane and vain babblings that uh, will, will go on to more ungodliness in our lives. And we're to, follow, we're to follow righteousness, notice this, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a what? Pure heart. A pure heart. You may be a vessel of gold, you may be a vessel of silver, you may be a vessel of wood, you may be a vessel of earth. Can I tell you this? It doesn't really matter what type of vessel you are. It matters whether you're a vessel of honor or whether you're a vessel of dishonor. In order to help this great house be what it's supposed to be, I need to be a vessel of honor. I need to follow righteousness. I need to follow faith. And as we said in the 11 o'clock hour, so often we think, how do I get more faith? How do I, how do I, I want to have more faith to do things? And we often work and labor and struggle for faith, and we, we get frustrated when we don't see it happening. Can I tell you this? <coughs> Gaining faith and having our faith strengthened is not something we labor in and try to work for. It's more of resting and the more we let go, and the more we let God do things. If I can learn to rest in the faithful one, my faith is strengthened. He is my author of my faith. He is the finisher of my faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It brings rest to my heart. As long as I am obedient to this Word, I can rest in the fact that I have faith in God. I'm to follow charity. I'm to follow peace with them. The call of the Lord. And I can I say this? It all needs to come from a pure heart. This is, a, this is a conundrum for Christians. Because Jeremiah said this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How then can I have a pure heart? How can I have a pure heart? There's two things I know of in Scripture. There's probably more. I'm going to give you two. The Bible talks about God blessing them that call on Him out of pure heart. The psalmist said, create in me, as he's praying to God, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. First of all, we need to pray and ask God to give us a pure heart. And then the second thing that I know to be true is this. We need to put our mind, our eyes our heart, on things that are pure. I've shared the story of the Indian chief, the, the tribal chief, that talked about the two dogs. One that wanted to do good all the time, one that wanted him to do bad all the time, that seemed to be warring inside his heart. And when asked which one wins, he said, the one that I feed the most. There's a lot of truth in this. 
You want to have a pure heart, then fill it with pure things. Back in the 80s when home computers were just coming out, I got interested in them and I was learning how to write code and, and, and to program these things. And one of the things that came out was a term called GIGO, G-I-G-O. And what it stood for was garbage in, garbage out. And can I tell you this, that if you put garbage into your heart, it's going to produce garbage and it's going to come out of the heart. If I want my heart to be pure, I need to first of all ask God to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And secondly, I need to fill it with pure things. That's an easy thing to sit in church and say, Amen, preacher, I need to fill it with pure things. But it may cause us to grab the remote of the television at some point and push the power button to off because what we're watching is not pure. In fact, I would say most of what's on there is not pure. I would probably still be correct if I said all of it that's on there is not pure. You say, Pastor, I struggle having a pure heart. Then quit putting unpure things in it. Avoid putting the garbage in. And pray and ask God to give you a clean heart. I don't care what kind of vessel you are. Gold, silver, wood, earth. But you must choose. Am I going to be a vessel of honor to the great house? Or am I going to be a vessel of dishonor? Let me encourage you. And I want, to, I want you to, to give serious thought to this. And not just think about it. I want you to put some feet to it. Begin to look through some things, maybe even this week. Things you're normally involved in doing. And ask yourself the question, is this pure? Is this something that's going to draw my heart closer to the Lord? Is this something that's going to help me to have more pure thoughts? Or is this something that is impure? Is this something that's going to draw me away from? And we could say it and use the terminology that Paul does here. Is this going to cause me to be a vessel of dishonor? We've got a great house. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. We've got a great work ahead of us. Let's be a vessel of honor. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, I pray that You'll bless the message this morning and this afternoon. And Lord, use it uh, to help mold us.